The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing that makes them stand out? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is this week's host. Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. I'm your host today. I'm Kate Ebner. And I'm delighted that I have as a guest um, a leader who's well-known to people here in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Paul Wiedefeld is the head of the D.C. metro. And, uh, you know, when I think about leaders facing tough challenges, um, Paul comes to my mind as somebody who has stepped in to take the helm of a system that's, at at the time it was created in the 1970s, was a a modern marvel in architecture and engineering. It was known to be, and I think in many ways still is, one of the great um, public transportation systems in our cities. But over time, the quality of the metro has declined. Um, Today, the metro system faces many issues, such as regular train delays, uh, faulty equipment, decreasing ridership, uh, funding challenges, and even some um, very frightening fatal accidents in recent years. Um, In comes uh, Paul, a leader with over 35 years of experience managing transportation systems, stepping into a system much in need of leadership. And so, Paul, I welcome you today, and thank you for taking the time to, to join us and to share your perspective. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, as we have this conversation, I'm um, I'm struck by the opportunity, really, for our listeners because, you know, there's sort of like leadership, uh, leadership is the ABCs of leadership, and then there's real-life leadership of something that is in need of dramatic change. And I'm curious to just start off by inviting you to give your, our listeners a little bit about your background and sort of who you were before you said yes in 2015 to stepping into this challenge. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, I've been in the business for 35 years and primarily transportation uh, business. And uh, 25 of those years have been in the public sector and 10 of them in the private sector in the engineering community. And um, my background in education-wise is political science and urban planning, uh, bachelor's and master's degree there. And so basically I've worked at the, at the local and the regional state level. So I've got a good sense of it. I've worked in this region for a good part of my career um, particularly in Maryland, but a lot in the Washington region. Um, I've worked as managed the capital budget for the state of Maryland on the transportation side, which include all modes of transportation, and then um, have worked as CEO for the Baltimore Transit System, which is a combination of subway, light rail, bus, paratransit service, as well as the MARC commuter line. <clears throat> and then was the CEO of BWI Airport for about 10 years and basically took mm-hmm. that through a series of um, you know, major growth, growth initiatives that we had there to grow that business. And that's what really gave me a lot of exposure to the Washington region because a large part of our market is the Washington region there. 
So anyway, it's given me um, you know a, a pretty good background in terms of operations. You know, this is very large operations, very complex uh, you know agency and services that we provide. But it's also given me exposure to the business community, what service like this means to the community in terms of, of obviously its riders, but also the economic implications it has, and really even the image that we have of the region. And then clearly I've had a, you know exposure to the to the political side and with the budgeting side uh, within public sector. So I think all those factors uh, have sort of positioned me well to, to deal with some of the issues I'm dealing with. What is it about transportation that has got you hooked? You know, it, it started for me very young. Um, I've just always been infatuated, <laughs> infatuated with uh, with transportation, particularly, particularly transit. Um, just at a very young age, have you know been sort of a, a transit you know, sort of geeky guy, I guess. And mm-hmm. um, so that got me into that. And then just really more the it was probably more the public sector side of the equation. Um, you know, a job like this where you're you know you're serving you know over a million people a day. Um, is, you know, just a tremendous opportunity to try to do something, you know, that impacts people and then is very rewarding, you know, for me personally. So I think it's just always been driven by that. <clears throat> the time that I've spent in the private sector um, was great, great money, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it did, wasn't uh, necessarily what drove me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, you've stepped into this role of general manager at such a crucial time for the D.C. metro system and um, a very tumultuous time in many ways. And I think in your first month on the job, you said in the post, I'm going to wake up every morning thinking about the safety of the system, and I'm going to go to bed every night thinking about the safety of the system. Have you stayed true? Definitely, definitely. The, the The challenge for me is getting the other 13,000 people to, to have that same mentality. Um, but it is something that I strongly believe in, um, and it, it's at the core of what we do. If we, you know, if we don't have a safe system, then then how can we meet these other needs that we need to do in terms of supporting economic growth and and and, and, and supporting just the daily travel needs that people have? Um, but we have to be a safe system. And unfortunately, with some of the incidents we've had in the recent past. Um, you know, we've, we've lost credibility in that area, and clearly, as we've seen with some of the physical conditions that we're dealing with, uh, we haven't maintained the system to be safe, um, particularly the degree of safety that we should all, that we should all demand. So mm-hmm. it is, it is um, always just front and center in my mind. The, the other part of that, though, is uh, security, just so you do know. So I, I tend to think of both safety and security in one. Um, because you know, as, as as you know, in this region, we are we are a target. There's just no doubt about it. Um, and transit in general in the world is a target. It's a soft target. It's an open system, and we constantly have to be on our game and thinking three and four steps ahead um, from that perspective as well. So it's a combination of safety and security. I'm so glad to hear you say that, especially as a frequent rider of the system. It's certainly uh, helps me sleep better at night knowing that you and, and others are working on those joint challenges of safety and security because you're right, the Washington area is a target and we need that. Um, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you talk about this that you've had such a an impressive career already. You've done so many important things in, in the field of transportation and, and leadership. Um, running BWI is one among them. I'm curious, Paul, what made you say yes to this particularly challenging leadership assignment at this time in your career? I think um, 
part of it is um, my love of the region um, and this area um, and family here and, you know, just all that. But it's, um, you know, when you think of this agency and Metro and what it stood for, you know, um, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago even, um, you know, when I, when I uh, grown up in Baltimore, when I, my wife went to GW, we would come here. And, you know, to me it was, you know, the – when you came to Washington, it was a combination of the uh, of the mall, the museums, and metro, and it was you know which is part of our overall um, you know it's how we view it, right? And it had slipped, and um, you know that as a professional and as someone in the community, you know that's and the opportunity to maybe try to do something about that, and uh, you know wanting to take that on to try to do it um, just was very exciting for me. Um, clear, clearly, it presents lots of challenges, but I think that uh, with the team that we're putting in place and with the people that we have in place, we can turn this around. It won't be overnight by any means, but, uh, you know, we're working very hard in different ways of of just thinking about this thing differently than maybe it's been done in the past. And uh, tied to that is the the need to to really deal with, uh, as what I framed as hard truths, and, uh, you know, we cannot ignore some of these things any longer. Uh, whether it's in terms of maintenance or in terms of um, overall management or accountability or, you know, a series of things that, that need to be done. Um, you know, I didn't come here just to, to sit back and let it, you know, let a few years fly by. That's just not what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, so to have an opportunity to do that, uh, uh, you know, in this stage of my career is fantastic. Excellent. Well, when you first step into a role like this, uh, and especially a situation that needs quick action and decision making. Um, what do you look for? Where do you start? Basically, um, it, it's it's interesting because you have to make decisions. You have to make them quick, but you also have to try to make them as smart as you can. So you do need to step back as much as you can. You have to bring to the table, you know, my personal experience. You have to listen. You have to listen really well, um, but you also have to listen to maybe people that weren't listened to. And, uh, you know, so I think that's, you know, sort of coming out of the box for me. It was like I, I've got to reach out to the whole range of stakeholders, both internal and external, to get a sense of that. Uh, literally, when I first came, in fact, before I even my first day here, I started to do that. And then for the first, I don't know, two months almost, um, I did that, and I purposely did that by myself um, because I didn't want to. I didn't want to filter uh, from people that had been around a while, um, and you know, I use I use their advice as well. But you know, I just wanted to get a better sense. So, for some of the the decisions that I made fairly quickly, I wanted to you know really step back and hear from different people so I can make those decisions as smart as I could, um, and that's sort of how I I jump right in uh, into this one. Hmm. You know, um, thinking about um, your entrance, which really wasn't very long ago. In fact, it was less than a year ago, I believe. Is that right? It was November 30th November 30th, of 2015. 30th I started, right. Yeah. So, um, so you're kind of coming up on your first year in. And right from the get-go, um, working quickly and, and, and um, intelligently, approach to decision-making, I know a lot of people in the Washington metro area have been sort of cheering for you. Um, I hope you feel that from time to time because Sometimes, I think this... <laughs> I hear a lot of other, other noises yeah, too, but that's fine. No, I, I think we all have seen you do things that previously people had not done, including closing parts of the system, closing the system, and actually stopping everything. And I remember the day that... Um, 
system was closed and I, I work, as you know, in, as a leadership coach and work on leadership development all the time. And somebody in one of my programs said, if you want an example of a courageous leader, look at Paul Wiedefeld. He did the thing nobody was willing to do. He closed the Vetra system. And um, so I've heard that a lot. I've heard people refer to you as a courageous leader, as somebody who's willing to do the right thing, even when it's, um, you know, not not popular or fully appreciated when it's hard. And I'd love to just I've hear heard, your I've thoughts. I've heard other adjectives, but that's fine. Yeah, well, we, <laughs> you'll have to tell us some of those too. <laughs> but I, I want you to hear that there is a, a team yeah, no, cheering you. for you out there and that, that the word that they use is courage. And does it feel like that when you're making tough decisions? Does it feel like take hold your breath and go? Or how do you, how do you think about it? No, not really. Um, you know, the way that... Uh, and it's not just me making decisions. You know, I, again, I rely on a lot of people right. to, to help me think through some of these things. But at the, but the end, you know, at the end of it all, it's you know, do we have a you know, do we have a, a firm sense of what we want to do, and we're 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 we have certain you know principles that we're going to abide to at all times. And and once you have those, it's not like I mean, you know, they, at this stage of where we are, they, they're almost natural. It's not like we had to write them down to make sure we knew what they were, and then. You know, you just you make decisions based on that. So, for instance, during the you know the the closing uh, that that particular uh, day, I mean, that was one of the hardest decisions uh, that I've ever had to make in my career, um, and one of the most difficult. Um, on the one hand, on the other hand, it was fairly easy um, because from the, it was difficult from the perspective of you know what this system means to individuals that don't have access what this system means in terms of the economic vitality, the, you know, sort of, again, our identity as a region, all those things were, were clearly on my mind of, you know, my gosh, if I do this, you know, what does that do for this? Um, but on the other hand is there were certain issues that I could not get answers to that made me feel to my core principle, which is the safety of the people, the, the individuals, that I couldn't get there. I could not get there. We could not get there. It wasn't. It wasn't that we weren't doing our work. It was just that I could not get answers to um, some basic, you know, relatively basic questions that I needed to get answered. And at that point, it became a, a fairly easy decision because at that point, it was like, am I going to put, you know, you or your family or my family or anyone's family at risk on this system? And to, to me, that again was a very easy, easy answer to that to that question. Um, so that's. You know that's how we do it, and that's the way. You know that that is the way that uh, we will continue to do it. Um, and uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think I don't know if that's courageous or not, but I think it's what people would expect from someone that's a public servant. And uh, that's how I view my job. And uh, so that's that's how that's how those decisions are made. <laughs> and you can hmm. use whatever adjective you want to. <laughs> to around. Yeah. That's how, that's yeah. How it's done. Well, it's um, it, it's. It's been, um, it's been, I guess, standing way back from the system and the challenges itself and just watching what you're working on. It's been very, um, uh, I don't know what, inspiring to watch to watch the progress, you know. And I know that when, when you're on the inside of any leadership challenge, it's sometimes uh, short on inspiration and long on challenge. But, um, but there have been many moments where I think people have really noticed that um, something different really is happening. We're going to take a break in just a minute or two. But, you know, when you look at the year you've just had, um, if you had to characterize this first year, um, 
in sort of a snapshot of, of the year from your perspective, what's this year been about? Um, it has been about um, starting to rebuild the pride in the, in the organization, both internally and externally. Probably externally not as far as I want it to be yet, but it will get there. But internally and uh, getting that, that just to, to see the workers and the employees and starting to change their mindset. Um, we're not by any means where I want to be yet, and I, I won't get 100% there, I'm sure, but I've seen it. Uh, I've met literally thousands of the people that work here um, and talked to them and looked them in the eye, and they basically want, they, they are on board with me, um, you know, by and large, and they want to get there. So that's probably been the most exciting thing for me is to see that. Now we've got to see, you know, that's got to play out in terms of product for the customer and all that, and we will get there. But um, if I don't, if I can't get that, if I, I'd be, you know, this be a whole different conversation if I didn't feel that, <laughs> because you know, at the end of the day, unless I can get these thirteen thousand people generally be moving in the, in the same direction, it's going to be awful hard to turn this around. But I feel they are, and I know they are. In, in again, the thousands of, of, of uh, employees I've spoken to. Well, you know, when we come back from our break, I want to hear more about how you think about that, how you actually bring 13,000 people around to see the same thing and to be motivated in the same direction. I think that's a challenge that many people face, and we'd love to hear your approach or your your insights about that. Um, my guest today is Paul Biedefeld. He's the general manager of Washington, D.C.'s Metro System. That's the subway system in Washington, D.C., and we'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer four cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, the Certificate in Health Coaching, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education and leadership courses for experienced leadership coaches and leaders at all levels. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. 
Here again is your host. Welcome back. I'm Kate Ebner. And once again, this show today is a conversation with Paul Wiedefeld of Metro. He is talking about his first year as general manager and CEO of the Metro system. Um, In this first year, Metro has begun to move in the right direction towards safety, reliability, um, toward a stronger financial uh, position. And this is hard work. It's ongoing work. Um, Paul, you've been talking in the past a few minutes with us about some of your priorities. And one of the things you mentioned uh, right before the break was um, that in a way success for you um, is getting the the pride and the um, the motivation and the results that, that can happen when 13,000 people who work for the Metro system work together in the same direction. And I'm curious uh, how, how do you, where do you begin with that? How do you, how do you get that going? Um, I think from a few perspectives, um, one of the things that I noticed when I came in is there was not a strong connection between management and the frontline employees. Uh, we're a highly unionized uh, agency, roughly 11,000 of the 13,000 belong to different unions. And, uh, in the trans- and that's very typical in the transit industry. And it's interesting, the transit industry, because of its history as a private company, a number of the employees, and I had this same situation on Baltimore, and it's, again, across the country, uh, they don't work for the agency, or they don't work for Metro, per se. They work for, quote, the company, and that's the term they use, which is kind of interesting, uh, or the, or, and that management is uh, defined as Metro versus that we are Metro. <laughs> um, so, you know, so I've spent a good bit of time trying to, to sort of you know, bridge that and get people to understand that, you know, we are all in this together and we all need to be working together. So I spent a lot of time with frontline employees and, and have asked my managers and, and, in fact, required my managers to do that, um, to understand that we have to tap into, you know, from an internal perspective, our end users, <laughs> our you know, our customers, which in this case I'm referring to, you know, the station managers, the bus operators, the mechanics, the power people, the track, the people that do all that work, because um, at the end of the day, they are the ones that run the system. You know, we, we, we play a role, but they're the ones that do it. And so that's where we've got to make sure that they are the ones that are buying into what we're trying to do. I mean, I, you know, I brought in a, a pretty much my, my uh, a team here, and, you know, that's the easy part. You know, they're, they're all on board. They know where I'm coming from. And we're, you know, we generally speak the same language. But what I'm looking for is to get, you know, that other, uh, that frontline employee. And associated with that is their immediate supervisors. And they're, you know, they're the supervisors and superintendents and assistant, assistant superintendents to get them to understand and, again, to buy in what we're trying to do. So, you know, to do that, it, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of honest discussion and uh, taking on things that maybe for years have been done a certain way uh, to get people to understand that just because uh, you were, you know, blocked in the past from doing something, you know, this is a new day. What is it? You know, what is it that you, that we're trying to do here and how can we get there? And, you know, come at it from that perspective. So I spend time out in the field quite a bit. I have uh, basically, we, we bring in about another, you know, roughly 50 to 75 people every two weeks and new employees because we have so many people leaving at the other end and for whatever means. And I meet with every one of those people and uh, as they come in and let them know where I'm coming from and, you know, what I'm about and what we're trying to do here and their role in it and 
what I'm expecting from them and what, you know, what a great opportunity this is for both of us, <laughs> you know, and trying to build that. And, again, that, again, is not something that, you know, you turn on overnight. But um, I think my, my experience has been, you know, you be straightforward with people, you be honest with them, you let them know what's going on, pluses and minuses, and uh, let them know what you're trying to do. And, uh, and I think, you know, we can turn this thing around much quicker by doing that. And, uh, and, and it has been my experience in other uh, positions when I've held positions mm-hmm. like this. What's been the response from employees so far at Metro? Um, it has been, I think it, it's interesting, you know, of course, <clears throat> you know, being new, that they're, they're, they're looking at me, you know, um, like, what is this guy about, I'm sure. But um, when I shut down the system for the, for the blizzard, for instance, I probably 99% of particularly the frontline employees said, wait a minute, something's different going on here. This guy gets it. <laughs> because from their perspective, it's like, do you understand what you do, meaning management, when you put out service, there's no way we can possibly meet. You've got me out, you know, driving a 40-foot bus on slippery conditions, you know, trying to pick up people where I have, you know, limited control of this thing, and I'm putting myself at, say, in, at, risk, at risk and the customer at risk. You know, does anyone you know, at headquarters understand that? And so I think when I did that, and again, I did it for a lot of those same reasons, um, was they finally, you know, they said, like, okay, well, if I'm, there's something going on here. This guy sort of understands that you know, we're part of this too. Um, so I think that sent the first signal. And then clearly when I shut down the system for the, for the, uh, for the arcing uh, insulator that we had, the, the cable, um, that really, I think, drove it home to them that, no, this is a different way of, of managing this. And when we say, you know, building a safety culture, it isn't, you know, it isn't posters on the wall. It's people making hard decisions and acting on them. It's, you know, dealing with a situation, not pushing it off to the future or leaving it for someone else to deal with. Um, and that's, I think they've seen that and appreciate that. Um, again, by no means everyone, but by and large, when I meet station managers or I walk into a garage, um, they get it. They, I think they, they really do get what we're trying to get there. Now, they want to see more proof in the pudding, you know, like everyone else. Um, and so I, I understand that. And I've had to make some difficult decisions I'm sure they don't like. Um, but that is, you know, comes with the territory. I am a, a, a stickler for accountability. Um, I, you know, I'm held accountable. I want to be held accountable, and I want every one of my employees to be held accountable. And uh, so that maybe is a little bit different uh, sort of way of thinking. Um, these, you know, are not jobs for life. Um, these are great careers, fantastic careers. And uh, but I, you know, I think we we're using a lot of people's money, um, you know, from customers and taxpayers, and that uh, we owe them you know, an honest day's work and to do our best. And that's what we're going to do. You know, you, you mentioned accountability and that's a topic that comes up, I think for leaders all the time. And, um, there is a really positive side to accountability, I believe, um, in that people feel on the one hand accountable, which can be uncomfortable, but on the other hand, like, wow, you know, a lot's expected of me and there's there's something motivating about having a lot expected and then also about delivering on that expectation. It can really build morale. And I'm curious if you had to describe the culture of, of w- w- I guess, where you'd like the culture to 
to be. You know, let's say we look into the future uh, three or four years and assume that you've had continued success. What's the spirit of culture that you'd like for the employees to have at Metro? Sure. The culture to me, I mean, obviously going to focus on customer service and safety and all those, you know, those cultural, uh, you know, elements. But, but what, I, what I've been saying to, to, the, to all of our employees is what I'm seeking to get, get to is that you are proud to work here. So that means when you go, you know, you, you watch the Nationals uh, a game or you go to a, you know, you, you're at a, at a party somewhere and someone asks you where you were and you say Metro, do you feel proud in saying it? And do they, do, do they react like, hey, yeah, that's a pretty cool place. So the example I always give is, you know, if you say that you work for maybe the IRS, <laughs> you know, the reaction is going to be one thing. If you say you work for Under Armour, it's going to be something totally different. And uh, it, it's something I worked on uh, very hard at BWI and uh, when I was there, when I was managing uh, BWI Airport. And we created a culture where people were extremely proud to say they worked there. And to do that, they had to do a lot of things right. They had to, they had to, they had to work smart. They had to be accountable for what they did. They had to be customer-focused. Uh, they had to always be safety-focused. You know, all those things sort of fell into place for them to feel proud, uh, to feel pride. And so that's where, you know, I really want people to, meaning our people, to understand that. Um, and there is, I mean, it is a just a very fertile field for me there because there is a history in this organization where people felt that and it was lost. But there is there are a lot of people that feel that way and there are a lot of people that are coming in that basically you know, view this as, you know, the jewel it is for this region. So that's what I've got to tap into. So that's what, you know, when I look out two, three years, that's where I want to be because I think if we get to that point, a lot of these issues, you know, that we read about and hear about have been you know, have been dealt with, you know, to a great degree because you cannot, you can't fake, uh, you know, being proud about something. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's the, and I'm not sure that's in any uh, business journal, but that's where I'm, that's what I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's a, a great um, standard to, to strive toward and one that people can really appreciate, I'm sure. Um, how long do you think it will take, you know, to get to a point where it feels like things have really changed and there's that sense of pride and also the experience of the of the riders and the system is notably different? Yeah, I think the the pride part probably comes sooner because I think well people will be there. The the ride the ride part is a little bit more complicated because as we get people to perform the way we want the reality is we have just physical conditions that we have, uh, you know, you know, gotten ourselves pretty far behind. So to deal with those issues, I mean, it just it's physically will take longer, financially will take longer. Um, so, for instance, you know, one of the one of the big issues we've had is uh, we have is with the rail car reliability. So a big part of that answer is the seven thousand series, the new the new uh, cars. You know, we, when when uh, the contractor that we had um, is uh, out of Japan, um, and with the tsunami that pushed their schedule behind. So when I came in, we were getting eight cars a month. Well, we were we were, contractually we were to get twelve to sixteen. So for the last five months, we've gotten sixteen. Um, I want to push them to twenty. Well, we've got seven hundred forty-eight of those coming in. 
I've got 200 in. So you can just do the math. That's going to take, you know, two plus years to get there. Um, the same thing with the remaining fleet that we have. Basically, the way we've been maintaining it probably hasn't been as, as uh, efficient as we could as it could be. But at the same time, those cars are getting older by the day. Some of those are cars are 40 years old. You know, other rounds are 30 years old and 20 years old. So those things take time to, to basically continue to do that and takes money to do that, on resources to do that. Same way, with the, particularly with the track system. Uh, the track, and when I talk about the track, I'm talking both the physical, the rails, the ties, you know, that, that physical part. But then there's this whole other element called the power, and that presents a whole series of other challenges that um, literally takes, in, in some cases, will take years because you're, in effect, rebuilding a railroad while you're running a railroad is what you're doing um, because of either, you know, we've fallen so far behind and just the age of the system requires it. So those things will take longer, but the, the amount of um, disruption to the customer literally by day will start to go down. You know, the risk of things happening will go down. Things will always happen in any system, uh, you know, with this many moving parts, this many individuals, there will always be issues. So I don't want to, I don't want anyone to think that, that uh, we're, it'll be 1976 again. It won't be. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm betting 1976 they had issues then too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, the reality is uh, with a big complex infrastructure, that has not had the upkeep that it needs, um, it's going to take a little bit longer to get there. But if we build the pride in our, in our workforce to do that, we will get there much quicker, and we will hinder our customers much differently. Well, thank you for that um, really thorough and thoughtful answer. I think that's um, encouraging to understand and interesting, actually. It's just a fascinating process that you're in. I know already that you've made some tough choices to cut expenses, to reduce the workforce as part of that, to cut healthcare expenses, to um, to sell some real estate. Uh, at the same time, people are beginning to see some changes. Um, your website, for example, is terrific and it's geared for mobile users. Um, there's a lot of online customer service support through social media. I think you have uh, some number, I have the number 22, I don't know if that's still right, of the 7,000 series trains have been put into passenger service and um, a lot 200. of track weight. 200 are already in service. Well, 200 cars, I'm sorry, you're right, you're right, train sets you're talking about, yes. Yeah, and and um, and the Safe Track initiative has gotten broad regional support and recognition for making a difference already in improving safety and reliability, um, replacing more rail ties than have been previously achieved in an entire year. And you haven't, you know, I think that was in the first four or five months. Um, sure. So there's there's some... Real progress happening here, and uh, um, we have again just a minute before we take a break. Um, what keeps you going, Paul? What, what? How do you, how do you persevere? <laughs> um, it, it really is when you see, when you see this thing starting to move, which I, I do see. Again, I'm not sure the customer's quite there yet, but when I see it internally, when I start to see this thing moving, which I do see. Uh, that's what keeps it going, um, and uh, and just the the knowing that we can get there um, is uh, really what's driving me right now. 
Well, we're going to um, take a break in just a moment, and um, I think when we come back from the break, I want to talk even a little bit more about uh, the mindset um, and the approach that you bring to this kind of a challenge and, and the nature of change. You know, how do we really, how, how do we change as a human being is one big question, but actually how does one human being, a team of human beings, an organization change an entire system? And I, I know that... Um, the insights from this experience you're having will be really helpful to people. So we're going to take a break right now. I'm Kate Ebner. You're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer four cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, the Certificate in Health Coaching, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education and leadership courses for experienced leadership coaches and leaders at all levels. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Welcome back once again. My guest, Paul Wiedefeld, and I are talking today about. Uh, his work to lead change at the Metro System here in Washington, D.C. And, you know, it's been uh, such an informative and interesting conversation already, um, Paul. And I, I want to explore with you, um, you know, as, as a, almost it feels to me like a, a rare opportunity to talk with someone who's a change leader, but also who's really in the middle of it and to get the perspective that you brought to it when you said yes, and then that you bring to it as you continue to do this important work. Um, and you mentioned a moment ago that, you know, it's not just you, right? There's a whole team, there's a whole group of people. Um, can you say a little bit about how you establish a, a leadership team or a, a group of people who are really working with you effectively as you step into something like this? Yeah, I mean, part of it is to to obviously get, you know, a... a uh, senior team around you that is buying into where you're trying to go. And so that was, you know, the first part of it. 
<clears throat> but um, some of the things that, that we've had to do is really reach out to um, basically, in, in my case, they're the managers of, of, the, of the agency. So there's, there's roughly 11,000 uh, uh, union uh, uh, individuals and, and another 2,000 that, that are considered uh, managers slash at-will employees. So part of it was um, to get to meet them. And to literally, so we've we've held meetings with with uh, that we've had every individual come to, so they can, you know, understand where we're trying to come from, and I can hear from them what what some of their issues are. Um, we've had to make sure that everyone understood that you know that there are certain rules that we are going to play by. Um, one of them is that they had to understand that they were at will employees, and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing um, in my mind um, because there's there's uh, you know. It is it's what is expected of them, and they need to be clearly understood. To, to, they needed to clearly understand that. Um, and again, by and large, you know, people say, "I get it. I have no issue with that." You know, <laughs> these are professional people. Do what they do. I mean, we have you know tremendous um, electrical engineers, and you know, you know, you name it. We've got them here, and they're professionals that that have come from private sector and, and can go back in a heartbeat. So it's it's really almost a non-issue for the vast majority of people. But it was important to remind them that that we are we do we all serve at the will of the public here. Um, so part of it was sort of making sure that we're all you know clear where we you know where we stand, and then what we're going to do and how we're going to get there, and then you know focus. And this is you know uh, you know pretty fundamental, but it is the communication part of it, and it's something that I have to improve on every day, um, but it is something I try to improve on every day, is making sure that we're that I'm communicating, that we're communicating among each other. We're tearing down the silos of a, a huge organization like this, which has them for sure, um, that we're tapping into um, you know, all the talent that we have um, within the organization, up and down the organization. So it's really to get to get sort of this change management sort of thinking and not do it by coming in and necessarily wiping out, you know, a bunch of people. That's not what it's about. That's, to me, that's not how you get change. Um, it, that we have to face budget realities at the same time. I can't do anything about that. Um, but we also have to make sure that the change we're talking about is the change of how we deliver, the change in how we manage, the change in how we think about things. To me, that's more the change management that we're trying to get to. You mentioned, you know, working on communication every day, you know, and, and I know that that's not uncommon that, that uh, change leaders know that the critical piece is communication and you just simply can't do enough of it in many ways. But have you communicated a vision of, of, of the system and the organization? And if so, could you just say a little bit about how you use vision uh, to help people align? Yeah, it's... Um you know, when you're when you're managing an operating agency or an operating, you know, a large operating, you know, company, um, there, you know, your priorities, you know, you may have a sense of priorities and sense of vision of what you're trying to do, and that gets changed by the minute, <laughs> um, but yet it's always there because the reality is you have to adjust to, you know, uh, some crisis, um, some, you know, outside pressure. And so what you want to do is make sure that always in the back of your head and the back of your mind is that you're sort of true to what you're trying to do. At the same time, you're dealing with something, you know, 
um, at lightning speed, you know, on the other hand, because you have to do something about, you know, some incident that's occurred, or you have to do something based on something that's coming from the hill or wherever. And so that's, you know, that's there all the time. So you want people to, to, again, understand where you're trying to go and let them understand that, that you're supporting them as we go there, as you deal with those issues that pop up literally minute to minute, uh, that, that you're being supported in that, and that we're trying, all of us are trying to get to that same place. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's complicated for sure, but it's, it's, you can't, you, can't, uh, you know, it, it is something that you have to work on constantly. You really do. You have to work on it constantly. Yeah, you know, and I, I really appreciate what you just said about, um, you know, describing that destination or that future that people are really working toward, that vision, while at the same time really staying with the present, right? What what are the challenges right now? What What is happening this week, this day, what this quarter, this month, whatever it is, making sure that people feel supported and um and that there's an adaptiveness, it sounds like, as things come up. It's not a rigid adherence to goals. It's a it's a fluid addressing of issues, even as we move in the right direction, is how I'm hearing it. Is that right? Right. Yes, that, that's right. And, that, and then also, particularly for, for um, senior managers, but also to try to get, you know, across the board, is to think, you know, a few steps ahead where you can, you know. And it's, you know, at different levels, that's going to mean different things. But, you know, to, to think strategically uh, about some of the things you're about to do. But, but whether you're a station manager and you think, well, I know like in a half hour this is going to start to occur, so I better start to think about this. <laughs> you know, where I just, you know, I just saw that something happened, you know, um, you know, 20 stations up the line. But how does that, how's that going to play out here? And it's not just waiting for things to, to come falling at your, at your footsteps. So it is trying to get that mindset of people, and then obviously for 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 my leaders and and some of those people, I I, I went much greater and deeper thinking on that because we have to think, you know, not only two days ahead of us or hours ahead of us, we have to think years ahead of us in some cases, and because some of the decisions we make are they're they're you know multi multi uh, million dollars decisions, and you know we have to be as right as we can be on those decisions. Uh, but we have to make sure that we've challenged ourselves to to get as best as we can in those. Yeah, you know, as you're as you're describing that um, that, that ability to sort of think ahead or see what's happening in one part of the system and understand its impact on other parts, it comes to my mind that this is really great examples of systems thinking. You know, being able to think beyond the task or the matter in front of you to actually see that ripple effect and see how one thing in a system affects something else. And that's a developmental challenge. I mean, in terms of leadership development, developing people who can see that and who can operate from that is a really important important goal and also also an important capacity to cultivate in people working in, in literally in such a big system. Um, I'm wondering um, what you'd like people to know about Metro today. I mean, how can, what, what would you like us to know about, you know, here we are, October 2016, almost a year since you've started and a lot's happened. You know, what would you like people to know? I think um, I'm hoping that they sense that, uh, we're we're credible players here, you know that we're serious about what we're doing here, and that um, we are not uh, shying away from what needs to be done, and we're going to be very strong in that, and uh, we have their truly their best interests, 
you know, at heart um, for the longer term. I understand the impacts that we're having in the short term for people, and I know it's not comfortable, um, but it's not, and, and that's not only external but internal, um, and, but that is where, you know, both myself and, and our team feel we need to do what we need to do and where, where we need to get to is going to take some of that right now. But I think if people just recognize that the things that we're doing, we're not, uh, you know, we are doing this because we are going to get this better. <laughs> and, uh, and we're doing it as quickly as we can, not as quickly as people want it, but we are, we are extremely committed to it. And so you have committed people here. And, I've, and again, I, I just can't uh, emphasize this enough, is that, that hopefully they will start to see that up and down the line in terms of the people that they interact with you know, in the agency. Because uh, again, I think that is occurring, and at the end of the day, that will be whether that will define our success. Is whether I can get you know the the vast majority of those thirteen thousand people moving in, in that direction. Um, and I think that uh, I can tell them that I've seen it. Um, they may not have yet, but uh, but I think they will start to see it as we, as we go forward. Is there a story you could tell us about? Um I don't know, someone or a situation where you saw the kind of initiative and, uh, you know, anticipatory thinking and um, pride and, you know, generating of solutions um, that you've been describing here. You know, when you think about uh, the, the time you've spent there so far, can you, is, there an, is there an anecdote that comes to mind about maybe somebody who really did embody this change? It was interesting. Um, when I meet, you know, our employees out in the field, um, I generally, you know, go up and say hi to them and just ask them how their how how's their day going, and I ask them what you know is there anything I can do for them, and you know, and sometimes it's you know it's personal, you know, but um, I had a gentleman, a station manager at Farragut North, and uh, I said, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, he says, you got a minute? And I said, sure. And I thought, you know, I've had station managers take me to the to the restroom that they use, and they say, look at this, it looks terrible, look at how this, you know, we're treated, or we don't have a lunchroom and things like that. And I get, I get that, you know, the system was built without those for our people. But this gentleman said, he took me outside and went around the corner, and he said, do you know where the elevator is to the, to the station? I said, no. He said, well, let me show you. Took me up the escalator, went around the corner, and it was basically, it's hidden in a little alcove next to a CVS there on, on uh, Connecticut Avenue. He says... He said, about two weeks ago, I had someone in a, in a wheelchair that came down after a rainstorm, was totally drenched, and said that they had gone around the block twice trying to figure out how to get into the, to the station. He says, can you do anything about getting a sign up here? <laughs> you know? So we had a sign. It was buried in this alcove. You know? So we, you know, he said, can we put something out on the street that you know, identifies this for people? So for him to, to be thinking about that, you know, which was fantastic. Now, I don't know if he knew that for five years, ten years, and didn't do anything about it, or no one asked him, or maybe he put it in and no one did anything. I don't know what it was. But for him to literally say, it's not about me, it's about the customer and about, you know, the product that we're putting out there, that just, you know, was thrilling for me, <laughs> that this is these exactly what I want to hear. Um, and actually, based on that conversation I had with that gentleman, um, I, I sent out a note the next day to all of our station managers and said, look, give me your ideas, something I can do in three months. You know, let me know what it is, whatever it is. And literally, I've gotten 
dozens of them, and they're, they're primarily customer driven type things, little things. I said, you know, I get it, I, you know, these big ones. I, you know, I know that we need more stairways in place and escalators and things like that. But these were just the, the little things that probably drive customers nuts that they see that we could do about, do something about. Um, so that is extremely encouraging to me. And, again, that's where I'm trying to build that same type of mentality throughout the whole organization. Uh, that's a great, a great example and a, and a, a great uh, story to hear, and uh, so encouraging actually to hear you inviting those kinds of suggestions. You know, as people who are listening might be people who are, are leading change or sort of want to make something happen. They may feel stuck in their own organizations. Um, curious, what advice do you have for leaders who are trying to really drive positive change? I think, um, you know, again, probably making sure they, they have a, you know, a good base of what they're trying to do and they they've, are real clear on what their, their basic principles are and then they act upon them and not just, you know, sort of, again, it's easy. It's easy to um, ignore things or just let them slide or leave it for someone else. You know, that's that's fairly pretty easy for people to do and understandable why people do it. Um, it makes for some of the things that you have to do make for uncomfortable situations um, for both the person, you know, the quote, the leader and, and the, the people you're trying to lead at times. Um, but, you know, to me, sometimes the uncomfortable is most comfortable um, because that means that you're actually doing something. You're trying to do something. And so, you know, one of the big things I always tell people is, look, I don't want people, I want people to come in here and challenge me with things. I don't want people to come in and tell me everything's going great or everything's going bad or whatever. I want them to challenge me about, all right, what are we doing? How are we going to do it differently? How can we improve this? So um, as leaders, all the leaders that I work with, that's what I'm expecting from them is that um, we're not here just to, you know, continue just, uh, you know, to push things along. We're here to change things. Um, you know, as best we can. So that's, I, I would think that would be it. Well, that's that's a, a great uh, perspective to, to offer. And I'm so struck by your, that balance you bring between it's uncomfortable and that discomfort is positive. You know, that sort of, um, it can be both. It can be hard and good. It can be uncomfortable and comfortable because it's the right thing. And you've given us so much to think about and such great insight today. Um, Paul, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. And I just want you to know that we are rooting for you and your team and your employees and um, really appreciate the changes and the hard work that you're bringing to our metro system. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your time. Have a great week. You too. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.